This audio is from King's Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Turn with us, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. If you need to use the Pew Bibles this morning, you'll find our passage on page 948 in the Bibles in front of you. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to the end. Paul says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who seek you or persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be here. There's nowhere else that I would rather be this morning. Uh, I'm Orion Barrage, one of the pastors here. If I've not met you, welcome. Um, we are in a series that, that is called The Church and Its Mission. And so each week what we are doing is we are asking ourselves, what is, what is the essential parts of the church? Like, what's our mission? What's, what's King's Cross Church? And, and specifically trying to ask, like, what are the things that we really want to seed into the community? If we're, if we're thinking about cultural Cultivation and, and, and the things that we want to see bear fruit in the future. So we're, we're reminding ourselves of the historic biblical reality of the purposes of the church. And then we're going like, hey, these are really important things to us. And so that's, that's what we're doing each week. And, and they revolve around our core values of worship and community and mission. And so... Um, today we're talking about genuine love. Like, what what else should we talk about but how love should control the body of Christ? And so uh, I'm excited to unpack uh, Romans 12 with you guys this morning. <clears throat> Uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's sweet, it's special as I've thought about love and I've thought about the body of Christ. I've spent a lot of time this week just thinking about community here and your love for each other and your compassion and your love um, to our leaders and our pastors. I'm two weeks out from my sabbatical and I just really just um, have been amazed and, 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 and just blessed by, uh, I mean, just blessing from you to say, man, we're, we're, we're praying for your family. We're excited about that. And um, so <clears throat> thank you for that. I'm 
incredibly thankful that everything I'm going to preach on today is alive and well in our body, and we want to continue to steward that, so here we are. Romans chapter 12. Years ago, Amy and I flew to Portland, Oregon, and uh, Amy was the, um, <clears throat> she was the event coordinator for Hallmark Cards and Crown Center. And so she got uh, the, the honor of going to Portland and getting on a mountain, and we got to pick the mayor's Christmas tree. So we'd go out there for, for one trip. We'd pick two years of the mayor's Christmas tree for Kansas City. It was really fun. I loved Portland. I actually, I mean, I loved loved it, art and, and food and culture, and I, I loved it. Amy didn't love it so much. Um, she didn't understand why everybody had, like, Japanese sand gardens instead of, like, grass, and uh, so she didn't love it as much as I did, but we had a great time uh, going out there. It was an honor to pick that tree and to stand in front of the tree later, uh, you know, at Crown Center and go, I picked that. Like, I picked that tree. Um, and so uh, we went out there as we're flying into Portland, our first time in in that area, you fly in and outside of your window, like you're face to face with Mount Hood. I don't know if you've ever flown into that area. Wherever you fly into that area, there's there's a mountain or two or three, Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens. They're, they're just everywhere outside your plane window. I remember looking at Mount Hood, 11,000 feet coming out of the valley. A door, it's a volcano, active volcano, but somehow it's covered in snow. Um, and just sitting there and going, like, we're going to be down there. Like, we're, we're going to be down there. We're going to be down there on that, in, on that mountain, and we're going to be picking a tree. That's cool. And I just felt this awe and this wonder um, of that experience. Now, if we pause that introduction story for a minute and think about another time towards the end of Jesus's ministry where he's with his disciples in John chapter 13, and he's thinking a lot, talking about his death is coming. He's thinking about betrayal, and he's like, he just he's talking to Peter about you're going to betray me. And there's this moment in in verse 34 where he says this to them. He says, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." Now, when you read the, this in the Gospel of John, you know that what he's saying is really, really profound. And you, you know that on the service level, above anything else like that Jesus is talking about towards the end of his life, he's like, I need you to know that the defining mark of Christianity is love. So if you get nothing else from this passage or this sermon or this worship service, like I, I want you to know what Jesus wants you to know this morning is that the defining mark of Christianity, the supreme ethic of our faith is love. It is love. Love is the defining mark. Love is the supremo Christian ethic. Love is why the gospel Love is how of the gospel. Love is the who of the gospel. God is love. He says that about no other attribute of his. God is love. And Paul said that love in the church, in the body of Christ, in the family, it should control us. It should control us. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus said to them. 
Now, the only problem we have is that we don't even understand how Jesus has loved us, us or what this love is. Right? Like we, we hear this passage or any other command in scripture to love somebody and we are the passenger on the plane looking out the window and seeing the trees from 30,000 feet that we're supposed to be the expert about so far away from that kind of love. Our plane landed that day. We checked into our hotel, we slept, we got up, we ate breakfast, and the tree guys showed up in their van. And they drove us through the Willamette Valley and up the mountain roads. And I can tell you that there's not a more scary experience in the world than to drive up a logging road with tree guys. You hear over the CB some sort of measurement yelled out, and then we dive into a little alcove on the side of a mountain, and an 18-wheeler comes by with 40 trees on it. And you're like, what if we didn't hear that? They would have just pushed us three miles off that mountain. And they shared with us that day as we drove around looking at trees, here's what you're looking for. This is a good tree. This is a healthy tree. This is going to be alive in two years. This is a tree that's going to look awesome in Kansas City. This is a tree that'll look awesome, but once we cut the limbs off and try to put it on a truck, it's not gonna make the cross-country journey. Like we just, we learned from the experts all the things about a tree and somehow we picked out two trees that worked. Um, Although any tree from Portland to Kansas City requires multiple governors to move it down here. And we slowed down and we learned and we drove those roads. And and that's what I want to invite you to do today as we look through this passage is to slow down. Because you've heard all the passages about love, right? We could just kind of look at this list and it seems like this kind of list of things that Paul's like, oh yeah, and this and this and this and then jam it together, right? Like maybe we could slow down to even challenge yourself to hear with new ears, to ask God's spirit actively to make your love more genuine today. Don't be an expert today. Get in the van, ride along with the expert on love. Listen, some folks can't learn because they think they know everything. And it takes humility and listening and a ready posture for God's word, especially of the most common things that a Christian can come across. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, we start with um, admitting. Like even this week as I've read this passage, like just I'm challenged by your definitions of love here. I'm... I'm, I'm quick to compare my love with other humans. But when I start to compare myself against your love, I, like the, it's a difficult comparison. Mine's not even close. You're perfect and you're endless. You love at all times. There's, there's no weakness. There's no depletion. There's an endless supply of your love. And God, when we think about our own, we feel the fragility of it. Like we understand 
our limitations, we understand the flesh, we understand all these realities that get in the way. And so, God, we need you. We need your love. We need just your spirit to illuminate what you say here. And we really need it to apply these truths to our lives. And so flood this room, Lord, with that revelation um, that may everyone here experience the love of God in some way. And help us, God, to take the posture of humility and learning and being open to the truth. And Lord, you guard my heart and my lips and may they bring honor to you and truth to them. God, our fortress, our king, and all God's people said, amen. So let's take a walk through the forest of this passage. Let's begin in verse 9 of Romans where it says, Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Now, the reality of unpacking that word or that idea is that, like, I could use other adjectives to describe genuine, but they kind of just say and feel the same, right? If I just switched it with authentic, it's just, you don't get much more out of that. So sometimes what you got to do is just go, what's the opposite of that? And, And what Jesus wants for his church, what he wants for King's Cross is that love here is genuine. So what's the opposite of that? You know what the opposite of it is. We all know what the opposite of genuine love is because we've experienced it. It doesn't matter how old you are, you've experienced it. Like you've experienced it and you bear in some ways in yourself the stories and the bruises and the scars of fake love, of false love, of hypocritical love. Like, it's easy to look at this and go, I know what the opposite of that is. Because that's the way of the world. There's always love that's self-serving. There's always this love. We've experienced that and we know what it's like. And listen, I, I have no intentions of just like ripping off bandages this morning and stirring up pain in our lives. That's, that's not what we're doing today at all. But we do need to be challenged to go, listen, there's a genuine love that God desires for his people. And if he desires it and commands it, it's possible. It's possible here. It's possible in some way. And so the first thing that we hear is God wants love to be genuine among us. He wants it to be genuine. He wants it to not be fake. He doesn't doesn't want another church that's just pretending and putting on clothing that looks like love and isn't deep down transformed by the gospel. And that's what he wants. And the first thing that he says is let love be genuine. And then he says, here's, okay, we're going to get after it. Here's how we're going to do it. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Now that is the surprise to me. That we are talking about love and the first thing that the apostle talks about is evil. Is that surprising to you? Isn't that a bit of a surprise? And the reason that it's there is because the world thinks, the world thinks that, that a little bit of evil is okay. A little bit of evil is okay if your motivation is love. The world thinks that some evil is no big deal in order for love to thrive, truly. These are, these are falsities. These are, these are things that the kingdom of God arrests in truth and is like, no, that isn't true. 
the late great singer and bad cultural theologian Luther Ingram's hit song, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. I sang that like 10 times today or this week and I was going to sing it to you, but I thought, man, (laughs) you'd just be thinking about that the whole time. No. God's word says evil is the enemy of love. Evil's the enemy of love, and Paul uses the hate of evil as the very pathway for love to thrive. The word abhor is a a Greek word that's actually a a, a compound word, two two phrases that are put together, apostugio, if I said that right. The compound word apo means away. It means to to, to distance or to to be away. And and, and sugio means to hate. And so it's like, like what the word gives us a sense of is this extreme hate of something that it's like, I don't hate it from afar or just kind of in my mind. Like I... I, I, I look at this evil and I want to do something about that. I want to protect what I love or I want to, if it's internal, I want to distance myself from this evil. Or if it's external, I want to like create safety for the people that I love. It's, it's a highly motivating thing. It isn't just a passing emotion. So if someone breaks into your home and they're trying to harm your family, abhorring means we don't misapply other passages in scripture and look at our wife and say, well, love covers a multitude of sins, honey. Right? No, we get up and we do what must be done for our loved ones. It's active love. So right away, it's counterintuitive already. It's counterintuitive, and he puts this uh, abhor what, what is evil at the very beginning. Because the two wings of the gospel are grace and truth. You, you, you can't throw away the truth and over-apply grace in a way that just looks past sin and evil. You just can't do that. The, the, the gospel of grace is big enough for the truth and, and, and like this is a part of loving one another. It's being honest with one another. It's, it's doing what must be done. This section about genuine love is bookended. It's bookended by what we do with evil. Imagine that. That this passage about love, if we look back to, to, the, to the end, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that crazy? Like everything God's wanting to talk to us about, how do we love one another? It's bookended by what do we do with evil? Like what do we, what do, we do when, when it's in me? What do you do? What do I do when, it's, when I see it in your life? What do we do when we see it amongst our congregation or in our city? What do we do with that? And Paul's like, we face it. And we're not afraid to. Love causes and compels us to do that. And that's not enough. We have to hold fast to what is good. In the, in the last part of 9, he says, Abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. We don't just do something about evil. That actually isn't enough. We hold on to what is good. The idea is holding and cherishing and stewarding and cultivating and like with purpose and intentionality and like we hold on to what's valuable. We hold on 
There's this joy that, uh, that you can experience. I, when I was a kid, I was blessed to be a part of a, a few championship sports teams. And, you know, you, you battle and you, you give everything. And then at the end of the season, you, ho- you hoist that trophy up and they pass it around. I don't know if you've seen trophy ceremonies in like the, at the Super Bowl. And I don't know if you've like watched those players, how, how they bind themselves to that trophy sometimes. And they just, they're just, they're loving the trophy and they're all, you know, kissing it and they it's kind of disgusting really you know but but I, like I remembered those those types of moments and it's like the trophies not the big deal it's like the, but the idea here's the same is that we hold fast to the joy of everything that God's given us and there's there's this um, in those moments the trophies glued to your finger as a representation of this very valuable thing and that's the idea here is that we that we are not going to let go of what is the what is good that God is doing in our lives together hold fast to what is good Bind yourselves to it. Make love and all of these characteristics that you're about to hear the most important thing. That you're holding on to them. That you're practicing them. That they become your commitment. Verse 10, he goes on to say about love. Love one another with brotherly affection. That genuine love, it's committed love. It's committed love. It, when you make a, a statement and invoke brother's affection, it amps it up a bit. I, I, I don't know what your relationship was with your siblings. I had three older brothers, and it was a complicated relationship. We'll say that. And, and we, so just imagine a 16-year-old boy, two, two 15-year-old boys, and a 14-year-old boy. Like, it was WWF every day, right? We were our own worst enemies. But also, our enemies never stood a chance. You didn't cross a barrage boy in our neighborhood. You just didn't do it. You had three other guys that are going to be jumping on you. And, and, and the stress here, um, what I want to stress is like, it's the idea of how brothers, like you could, you could actually struggle in your relationship, but I am so loyal to them. Like, I don't even know why, like, I'm so loyal to them. I, it's, just, it's like, I've not done anything to deserve that. Like, like, I don't even know why, but I die for my brothers, right? Like, and, 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 and the reality is, is like, we're just, we're just blood. Like, and your brother and you have like this, this weird reality that you're just always going to be friends. And there's an eternal reality here that the blood of Christ binds us together eternally. You and I will always be friends. You and I, if we're not friends today and you're a Christian, we're going to be made to be friends. Right? Like it's that day's coming. So, so there's this idea of like this brotherly affection that, that he invokes here. That, that Paul's going, hey, like this is what genuine love looks like. Yeah, I, we had problems yesterday, but today we're just, we're thick as thieves, you know? Like, we're, we're, we're brothers. We forgot about that. Like, we're moving on. So there, there's, there's this essence in verse 10 of love one another with brotherly affection. And then it moves just from the, from the sort of commitment towards one another. It moves into an expression at the last part of the verse, outdo one another in showing honor. Man, that's... That's a commitment to those that you love. Outdo one another 
in showing honor. And this is an area I think we always want to stress in our community. And it's no small thing. It kind of sounds small. It's like, what does that mean? Does that mean like, hey, you know, you know, Grace and Chris, they serve on the worship team. We're going to like make a big deal. We're going to honor them. Like, and that, that might not seem like a big deal, but like it's deeper than that even. Not, it's deeper than that because churches are countercultures. They're countercultures, and the economy is different. And in churches, something can happen that happens in the world where there's this, this continuous thing that of competitive can culture, uh, a culture where the economy becomes, hey, where do I, where am I at in this church? You start to compare, like, where am I at? Like, and then you start to do things and act and like try to figure out, hey, how do I become more significant and more known and more influential or maybe move to the inner circle of the church, right? Like, that's what churches can do. And, and, and so this is like, it seems like a small thing, but it's a real simple thing that can purge out that type of behavior. To say like, if I'm constantly wondering where I'm at, then maybe what I need to do is think about serving others. And maybe what I need to do is think about how am I honoring others and how am I serving others. And, and in this space, like, I'm not just thinking about, hey, what do I get out of it? And where, how, what does somebody think about me? And like, like we, we flip the script. We become counter, counter, counter-cultural. And we go, man, I, I want to honor the people around me. I want to lift those people up. I want to serve other people. And, and that's why this is important. Because in the household of God, there's a place for everyone. And there's significant, important ministry for every believer in Jesus that really only you can occupy that space. That's how gifted, that's how blessed, that's how full of God's spirit you are. That's how he has wired you beautifully to be his image. Like that's the body of Christ that, 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 that Pastor Will was talking about last week where he's like, hey, like you and you're not here, we experience that deficit because you're the only one that actually can fill that space and God, God makes up the rest. And the church actually needs to embrace that in very real ways and, 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 and Paul I was like, listen, hey, honor other people. Like, put others in front of you. But it speaks so deep into the culture of the church to say everyone's significant. Everyone's important. If there's an inner circle in this church, I don't know about it. Like, I don't, I mean, I'd like to get invited into it. As a lead pastor, I think I should be. But, like, if that exists, but, but are there people in a church that <clears throat> from the outside, you're like, man, they're, they're at everything. They say yes to everything. They're involved with everything. They're serving everything. They're serving their pastors. They're, ser- they're like, they're just, and you're like, man, that, that seems like those people are always right there. And it's like, hey, if you're not, if you don't, if you don't feel like that, like you're busy in this season of life or like you just don't feel like you can say yes to as much stuff and you're kind of feeling a little disconnected, it's like, man, you have a place here. And the worst thing you can do is compare yourself to somebody else in your specific season of life. And if like, if, if, if faithful living in this moment of, of just doing what you can is where you're at, praise God. Don't feel any shame about that. 
don't feel any shame and don't compare yourselves to the next person and think, oh, well, they're, they're like in their own thing. They're in the inner circle or whatever. Like we, we need to eradicate that in the body of Christ. We need to push ourselves. If you are in your 20s and you're in college or you're just out of college and you're asking, hey, like, where do I, where do I stand? Like, it, we need you. We need your zeal and we need your life and we need um, your, your fresh perspective on life. Like, we need that. If you're in your late 20s and you're post-college and you're just starting out and you just bought a house and you're thinking about kids or you just are having kids, like, we need needs you in that place and that season of your life to be a part of what we're doing. If you're in your 30s and, and you're, 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 you're in your 30s like me and you're wondering um, how you're what? Uh, <laughs> And you're just like, you're starting to wonder about significance and, 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 and the trajectory of your life. And you're, you're going through those first little shimmers of a midlife crisis or your 40s and you're fully in it. Um, or you're like in your late 40s or 50s and your kids are going away to college or you're an empty nester already or you're getting ready to retire or you already have retired. There is a place for everyone in the body of Christ. There is a place and we are a disciple making movement and we need all of those seasons of life to help people and make disciples. Like we need all of those. And you occupy a very specific place. You, you, oper- you, you occupy a perspective that God has given you and tools and gifts that God has given you. And just because I get up here and preach on Sunday, I am no more significant than you are. That was a crazy side sermon. I don't know where that came from. Genuine love. Um, Verse 11, genuine love is patient. There's four imperatives in this passage as he moves from from like talking about honoring other people. That's how we got there. Um, And and, and there's there's this application though in that of self-forgetfulness and learning to honor others. Um, The opposite of that is to compare yourself and to be to be me focused and and he's like listen I want like zeal and and, and all this stuff to to be yours but in le- in 11 he starts to talk about genuine love being um, patient do not be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit serve the Lord rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer now what's interesting about this um, this this group of, of verses these two verses is that it, it kind of switches from we to kind of like me right you see that so it's like um, he, the command is to not be slothful to be fervent in spirit to serve the Lord to rejoice in hope those seem like um, like like devotional hour like because who we are is directly impacted by who I am so, so like what he's saying is he's like he's saying the, what, what is required in community is the fullness of our spirituality with God at work together. Does that make sense? Like that's why it's there is like it's, hey, hey, I can't be a sloth. I can't let my heart grow cold. I can't have no fervor in God's spirit. I can't not pray. I can't like I can't do all these, not do all these things and expect. Expect relationships around me to go swell. 
which means you and I are stewards to cultivate something beautiful. We're stewards. So it can't just happen. And a lot of times what people want is they want to come into a church and they look at the pastors and they staff and they like produce a perfect church for me or a near perfect church for me or a reasonably healthy church for me. Would you do that? Would you do that? And if you don't do it, I'm going to hold it against. I'm going to try to go to the next place, right? Like that's, that's not what we're being invited into. It takes our effort. It takes our stewardship. It takes us paying the cost that maybe other churches don't want to pay. I don't know. It's not for us to, to, to decide what's happening in the world. It's like it's us to decide what's happening here amongst us. What are we willing to do? And I think 11 and 12 remind us that it takes personal devotion and that God wants to unwrap all of the elements of our spirituality for the good of the flock. And then verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And, and, and what it's saying is like love does, just doesn't sit on its hands. Like, like the, then there's this, this whole list of things that, that love does, right? Like there's love contributes to the needs of saints. So it's generous. Like this has always been a generous church. It's, no, I, it's one of the ways I know we're a loving church is that, that people have always cared for one another. It's in miraculous, amazing ways. And we seek to show hospitality. It, it's one of the marks of this church is it, that it's incredibly hospitable church. And, and, so, and it doesn't stop there. It, 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 it expands. Love moves into action. Genuine love. It's not just like, hey, I love you, like, but, but we'll just see each other on Sunday and that's it, right? Um, like, like it, it goes further and, and then it feels like in each verse it just keeps going deeper and kind of more unrealistic, right? Like, bless those who persecute you. Okay. He said some bad things. Bless you. <laughs> bless you, brother. Um, bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's easy. Weep with those who weep. Yeah, harder. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil. It's just, you see how like the commands leave the realm of intellect and emotion and move out into outward action that if love is not genuine with you, it would be impossible. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Hey, what that's saying is like in every difficult relationship, I have to ask as far as it is with me. I've gone as far as I can go here. Not, hey, they deserve this, <laughs> right? Like, not that. And they may deserve this. But as far as it is for me, at using all of my spirituality, all the word of God, everything available to me, as far as it is with me, I've, I've done what I could to live at peace with this person, to be a peacemaker. It, this, this group of verses is challenging to me. I, I'm just going to be honest. It's challenging to me. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
that means we're just not like living under the uh, under our with our triggers, you know, like our reactive self. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Now, this is a quote, and like, here, and Jesus just took the law of what we supposed, how the love we're supposed to show our neighbor, and he just kept like ratcheting it up to where this sort of love is impossible for us. It is impossible for you if you don't know that. Like. Everything that God is saying here about this genuine love, it is impossible for you to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's my favorite part of the verse, that I get to heap burning coals on his head. Um, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It ratchets up to the place where I'm sitting there... And I'm thinking, I can't do that. I can't do that, and I really want that. I want to be more like that, and I want you to be more like that. And, and, I, and I can't do it on my own. So, so we're sort of left with, okay, God, like... I want, I want that, and I want that for our church. I want our love to be more genuine, and I want us to grow in that. So how are we going to? I want to rest on the fact that I think we are killing it in some of these areas. I mean, we are. You can pat your neighbor on the back, say you're killing it. I think we are. But, there's, but, there's, but there is a reality is like our mission is to be growing in transformation as, as the gospel becomes more and more clear and Jesus becomes more and more precious. And the only way that we can do this, this, this group of unlovely people... <laughs> Right? Like, isn't it just like, how can you love unlovely people? I mean, and still be sincere and not hypocritical. Like, how can you do that? Well, in a me-centered world, that's probably true. But we live in the kingdom of God in a Christ-centered world. That's the difference. That's what changes everything, is that we all live in a Christ-centered world where none of us, as we look at Jesus' sacrifice, have deserved his love. And it's because of his love in view of God's mercy, it said in verse 1 of chapter 12, in view of God's mercy, because of the mercies of God, we're, we are loved not because we were lovely, Not because we were lovely, but Christ loved us in order to make us lovely. And that is the key to all of it. The key this morning to growing in this genuine love and to steward it in our body is to realize we serve a kingdom, a king and a kingdom where Jesus is at the center with courageous and ferocious and never ending truth and grace filled love towards us. And we just need to tap into that. We need to see that. And we need to see in light of that where there's darkness in us and we need to abhor what is evil in us. We need to, we need to run from that and we need to ask God to transform our hearts. 
Genuine love is the love of God. It's the love of God. And it, you can find it in a non-Christian because of God's common grace to this world. But you should find it in a Christian. You can find it in a non-Christian because of God's common grace. But you should find it in a Christian. And you should find it in, in Christ's family, in his church. And you should find that here. And so listen, I want to commit to you to growing in God's love. That seems maybe trite a little bit, but I, I want to commit to doing that. And, and how I'm going to do that is by taking this passage really serious this morning. Like, I might even print this out and use it as a bit of a guide for me, you know, in the next days or weeks to, to, to like, to, to think about it more, to, to get it really into me, like, really get it down deep into me, to do the things it says. And when I don't want to do those things, to interrogate myself of, like, why do I not want to? Like, what, what, what is it that I don't want to um, do here and why? And what does the gospel arrest as a lie there and say, hey, like, you need to believe something else. Like, I want to I commit to doing that. And I want to challenge you to do it. I want to challenge you to take the word of God. Don't let it just fall as we, as we leave here, but put it in good soil. I really want to challenge you to take this passage and use it to become an expert on God's love. And the reason that I won't, the reason that I'll fall short on my commitment to you or, or, or you won't do it either is you're indifferent. That's, that's okay. I mean, if you're indifferent, like if this is just seems like garbage to you, like that, I, there's nothing I can do about that. Or maybe you don't think it's possible to see love grow and become more genuine and more beautiful and more pure in you. Or maybe you're just really angry right now. I mean, there are reasons. Or maybe you think you've arrived already. I don't know. There's, there's reasons. But, but no matter what the reasons are, what would it hurt? What would it hurt to take me up on this, to, to, take, to take that challenge? I'm really, really thankful for where God has us as a church. But we can grow. We can grow in love, and we can, we can grow in truth-filled, committed, patient, and courageous love. Like, we can, we can grow in all of those categories. By this, Jesus says, by your love, they will come to know my love. If for no other reason, your commitment to, to embracing this, by this, by your love, the world will come to know Christ's love. If for no other reason to focus on this supreme ethic that it should control us here at King's Cross. So I want to ask you, would you do that? And as we come to the table to, to take of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and communion, know that love is at the center of the table. Like it is the greatest expression of God's love that Christ laid down his life for us and that we are invited into the constant and eternal love of God. Like, come and embrace that reality and partake. We practice open communion here. If you're a believer in Jesus, please come. Take some bread, dip it into the juice. We have some gluten-free elements here. And we invite you to come.
if you've not experienced Christ's love or embrace it, then this is just bread and juice to you. And so maybe, maybe stay. We have some prayer cards in the back of there that you could like read and, and think more about accepting Christ's love. Let's pray. Let's worship. And let's experience God's love as we finish our time. Would you stand? Father, we um, ask you this morning that... Lord, as we, as we hit our feet and as we move from being listeners and hearers, Lord, I, I pray that even just the act of coming forward would be a certain kind of like putting in motion love, like love for one another, love and devotion to you. And, um, and so God, would you, would you do that here amongst your people? Would you cause um, love to be genuine and real in this body? We pray in Jesus' name.